0: And welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Anna Rutberg.
1: And I'm Casey Muratori.
0: And our movie this week is a very famous movie. Fritz Lang's Metropolis.
1: Indeed.
0: When we looked up this movie, first of all, there's like... Different versions. We picked the one that is most recent, where they've got like twenty-three minutes of added footage that they had re- fairly recently, I guess, discovered in like Argentina or something.
1: It's supposedly they in a Buenos Aires uh, museum, yeah, a film museum or something, I guess, or maybe I don't, I don't remember I don't if know. it said what kind of museum. I don't know. They had a completely like a a full original.
0: Yeah, like, which, like It was
1: like, this is the whole film, which yeah. they hadn't had before, apparently. Yeah. So nobody knew <laughs> what was in there until they looked at this thing. Unfortunately, it was like, you know, obviously really badly degraded. Yeah. But they were able to reconstruct a bunch of shots they didn't have before, apparently.
0: Yeah. It was funny, though, because when we were like, we neither of us had seen this. And neither of us really knew anything about it, except I'm sure, like, we'd both seen the, you know, the image of that, like, r- robot thing yeah. <clears> and the, the the cool you know the the artwork for the like the cover and the title and all that is excellent right but beyond that i didn't know anything about it i don't think you did either i but didn't
1: if you haven't seen this movie yet the robot just is c-3po yeah like oh, they yeah, just yeah. it's just they literally just c-3po they just made just, the same it, robot exactly. they didn't it, even it, change almost anything yep uh it, it, like it's the most minor cosmetic changes you could possibly imagine yeah, yeah. so like it's a very clear where where they got the idea yes for <laughs> c3po
0: it's crazy well and so but when we when we we both were like oh no because we saw it was like a two and a half hour long silent film yeah and i think we were both like all right well You know, yeah, we're just going to have to, you know, if we have to watch it in multiple parts or like whatever, we'll do it. But oh boy, that was not a problem for this movie. This movie is nuts.
1: It's completely banana cakes. And one of the interesting things I think going into it was that in general, I do not think highly of film school, as people know. (laughs) So in my mind, I'm like, well, this is like, you know, a notable classic or whatever, which means it's probably going to suck right? Because I'm like, it's probably one of those things like, you know, Titus Andronicus or something where it's like, nobody should really ever need to watch this, right? It's only because English majors don't really know what they're talking about that you end up having to see this kind of stuff. So I was going in assuming that, but it's actually the opposite. Yes. This is like the most like mass market blockbustery kind of movie. Yeah. It's just the only way they knew how to make it in that era was this way. So it's Not It doesn't quite feel like Star Wars, but it was just Star Wars or something. It's just that kind of thing. It
0: feels so modern. It really does. It's crazy. I mean...
1: The acting... The fact that the acting is mime is really the main... Diff- well, and I mean, it doesn't have color film or, you know, some of the technical things. But the mime is really the thing that you most notice because it's a silent film. Yeah. If I think if they had just had dialogue, if they had had the ability to record sound, this probably would just feel like, you, you know, know, what's
0: interesting about the, the the style of the acting, though, is that I actually kind of liked it more than some of the acting styles that would come slightly later mm. um, in the like 40s and 50s. Yeah because it was so exaggerated because like their their expressions had to communicate exactly what they were thinking and feeling and what was happening and and they did for yeah. the most part and some of them some of the actors in particular I actually really liked I think the the guy who plays um I'm assuming it's Frieder I don't know cuz it's yeah, German it could be Frieder. Frieder I don't know I don't, I don't, know. Know. I don't I can't know how you say it. I can't speak German the um he was like kind of over the top and and Silly. But but some of the, like the guy who plays his father, I thought was great.
1: I think there's a reason for that. So I believe that the guy who plays the lead was actually just some random extra. And that was probably a mistake, to be completely honest. The guy who plays his father is like a famous actor. Okay. So okay. like you're you're not wrong even by the standards of the day. The mm-hmm. father was like way more accomplished and probably just a much better actor even by those in those yeah. different terms than what we are perceiving today. But so, I just yeah. felt
0: like their their expressions and gestures conveyed so much. Like there's sections of this movie where people are talking, but they never tell you. They never put up like the... What do they call them intertitle or uh,
1: the, yeah, an intercard.
0: And, yeah, they have there's a name for the I can't think of it right now, but for the cards that yeah. come up that say what they're saying. There's big sections of this movie where that those cards just never come up and it never matters. Like you always understand you know what's, going what's happening yeah. and it's pretty amazing.
1: I would say that like yeah, that the main thing that was also the main thing at the outset of the movie where like when we started watching it, I was going to like, oh, this is going to suck. Because it kind of feels like just mostly mime when you when you first start watching the movie but uh, actually the comparison to Shakespeare I think is somewhat uh, is is somewhat apt here actually because this is kind of similar to when you start watching Shakespeare that you and you haven't watched much Shakespeare in a while the language is like off-putting and annoying mm-hmm. but then your brain kind of trains up on it and then you don't notice it anymore yep, yep. Uh, unlike Shakespeare though this actually then has something to offer after that happens <laughs> and uh, so This movie, I think, was really remarkable and I really enjoyed watching it, even though I think it doesn't really add up to a great movie. Like, I don't really want to watch this movie a lot or anything like that. And I didn't think the story was actually all that great. But in terms of just the inventiveness, the ideas, the way it was shot, it just has a lot to offer, especially as a historical piece where you watch it and you're like, oh my God, like... You know, this is before Citizen Kane, well before Citizen Kane.
0: 1927. It's almost 100 years old.
1: They are doing everything. I mean, I guess, you know, not being a film historian, I couldn't say how much of this stuff is original, but it's pretty obvious Fritz Lang is just kind of a genius because the stuff that was going on in there was nuts. The one that really blew my mind. I mean, like I was watching the movie and I was like, wow, this is pretty impressive that they were able to pull all this off because I'm sure they really just didn't know what they were doing at the time. I mean, it was still film is just incredibly young. This is like apparently one of the f- the few feature-length films that even existed at that point. Like, feature-length film wasn't really a thing. It was just and it's, starting. And
0: it's science fiction.
1: And it's science fiction. So all of that stuff, it's not like they just call up ILM and say, hey, we need, yeah. you know, the fire effects or whatever, right? So all of this stuff, they're probably having to figure out a lot of it on their own. But the thing that really blew my mind, where I actually, I think I asked to pause the video. I was like, mm-hmm. can you pause it and look up when this came? Was? Is there's a, there's a scene in this movie Where uh, they pick up the character that you're currently watching on a different plot line picks up the discarded hat of a worker who the main character, the protagonist, has swapped places with. So I believe it's Josephat. is his name, is the guy who's picking up the hat. And uh, Freder or Frieder, we don't know how to speak German... Uh, is the son, and he has switched places, Prince and the Pauper style, basically, uh with a worker, an anonymous worker mm-hmm. who was just 11811 working one one eight one one or something. One one eight one one who is working on the clock machine. Mm-hmm. And Josephat picks up this discarded hat that was left in his apartment, and he looks at it, and they cut. And I'm like, they're not going to cut to that guy's storyline now, and they did. Uh-huh. And I'm like, holy cow! Like, that's got to be so far ahead of yep. its time. No one thought of that kind of stuff. That's yep. like a that's like a, a modern workaday match cut where you show some item or artifact that's related to another plot line to, and then the audience moves over to that plot line. I was just like totally blown away that that stuff was happening back then and I it makes me want to know the history of this did they figure that out or did is there a precursor to that that we know of cuz that was cuz that's not there's nothing opulent or fantastical or difficult about that But you have to have the idea. You have to understand that these things help the audience frame the audience's understanding of what they're seeing next. They're this like leading in that helps to set the mood of cinema and to make it flow. And it's so not obvious that you would do that once. Now that you've seen it a hundred times, it is. But before you've ever seen it, that's got to be the least obvious thing.
0: Well, yeah, it definitely. I kept thinking that throughout. Where it's like Fritz Lang clearly had a natural gift for narrative, like, sequential narrative imagery, storytelling, yeah. um, he clearly just knows. He had, like, such a obvious instinct for it because at the time, like, the things that are taught in film school, like, here's just, you know, the rules you follow or whatever, like, th- he's making those rules, right? Like, I, 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 like I've it. got to assume that it was a, a kind of an experimental playground back then of people just sort of trying to figure it out, and a lot of them were probably based on, like, plays or operas or things that, you know, things that existed before but, um, but not film. And this this movie was like, okay, we're doing these things that help a film tell the best story it can. Um, it, it was definitely that. I think that was the thing that made it feel so modern. Um, is it, it oh, felt? Absolutely. It felt natural. Like the flow between scenes felt like really natural. The first scene in this movie that I felt like I I I almost feel it was like jaw dropping to me
1: mm-hmm.
0: was. When Freighter goes down into the worker area, yeah. the machines, and he sees the big, the big yeah. machine, like the heart machine, and there's like an explosion, and the machine transforms yes. in his mind into this beast, and the 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 men walk up and like it devours them. I was I it, I was like in in shock. This like movies today. I haven't seen movies do this like it's so good it it's was nuts. it was mind-blowing in and uh it's and not
1: just that too though it's also the fact that it was pulled off flawlessly it was like oh my god it yeah. just looks gorgeous and incredible. exactly right and it's like it wasn't an attempt at impressionistic filmmaking it was a success at filmmaking. it was filmmaking amazing to the t
0: there's another scene with that does a similar thing it's not as as sort of like visually Mm. opulent or whatever but when he's when freighter is doing the clock machine thing Mm -hmm. and it actually Mm -hmm. it's almost quitting time and he's like will the time ever end like i've been working for 10 hours or whatever and the machine literally turns into a clock like while he's doing this and it's just like it's perfect it's like a perfect way of visually sort of like communicating something and it's just it's like beautifully done it was just incredible
1: it's it's insane it's it's really insane. I totally agree about those two shots. I had the exact same reaction you did when they happened. Uh, those two in particular are just so well done, and they're slipstreamed like, into the film so seamlessly oh, it inc- just- that it d- never feels like heavy-handed or jarring. The only thing that was jarring about it was that I was seeing it in a movie from <laughs> 1927, 9, whenever it was. 1927. 1927. You're just like, what? um. And you're just kind of like, okay, so like, someone figured all this back out in 1927, and we're heading into 2027, and filmmakers don't can't do any of it anymore. Yeah. They lost the ability to do any of these yeah. things, right? Yeah. So it's like we've we've gone nothing but backwards well, in a hundred years it, in it, impressionistic filmmaking. You got like David Lynch, and that's it.
0: It's all that's all to, you get. It's interesting too because this movie, the experience of watching this movie is just being like. I've seen that before. I've seen that before yeah. because everyone, it was just imitated again and again and again. Yeah. That's how important this movie is and how influential this movie was. It's like when you watch this, you will see so many other movies in it.
1: You would that, feel like this movie is incredibly derivative if you were watching it today, yeah. <laughs> but it's the opposite. Yeah. It's all the stuff you've seen that like, you think is like derivative the of the mad it's scientist of it. guy. Yeah. Like
0: everything in his in his area, the inventor is like is like the mad scientist trope. Yeah. Of that we still everyone uses yep. today. Like it's I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know. It's just crazy. The,
1: there's the people in the upper world with their ridiculous outfits. Yes. It's basically just like if you've seen The Hunger Games. Yep. Well, Fritz Lang already did that. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have, like, all the people in the creepy club with the dancer and the thi- Like, it's it's everything in it is just like, I mean, it's even... this is just how they shoot scenes. And the and and the
0: the, the, uh, the city was just yep. incredible looking. I mean, Blade Runner. Yeah, it's Blade Runner. I mean, it it really is just
1: it's it it seems like I would assume because I don't know how many people uh, even have had would have seen Metropolis film directors may be more likely to see it because they would have seen it in some kind, you know, a film school context or just in a, you know, when because they're into film. But I think part of it, too, is even people who haven't seen it probably do things that are similar to shots in Metropolis because Like you said, it feels like Fritz Lang just had the intuition for it. Like he just understood how to tell a story in a visual medium. And as a result, he's just shooting things, for lack of a better term, the right way. And so a hundred years later, when someone who has the benefit of all of these um, experiments and people working through things and trying things and arriving at what the correct way is to do various storytelling techniques in film... Just arrive back at what he did on that film. Because it's like, yeah, when you... The reason, I would assume, the reason that Titanic looks exactly like this film when they are trying to get out of the underground and they come to a gate they can't unlock Mm -hmm. is not because... James Cameron was thinking about Metropolis or even if he's even seen Metropolis, I have no idea. It's just because that's how you shoot it. You shoot from the outside of the gate, looking in, you shoot with an angle so that it's not boring. Right. And it's like James Cameron probably made all the same decisions that Fritz Lang did. Even it doesn't matter if they've ever seen, you know, each other. Right. Because that's how you shoot that shot. And I think over and over again, you kept getting that the shot of them on the roof when they're fighting I don't know if anyone's aping that shot. That's just how you shoot that shot because you're like, oh, it creates the silhouette against the skyline and you can see, you know. And so I think I kept having this thought over and over again. I was like, yeah, this guy just knew how to shoot anything. Anything you put in front of him, he knew how to shoot it. And I think now it feels like all these movies like, oh, that just looks like Metropolis now because, yeah, he just shoots it the way you shoot it. He just knew. Most other people have to be shown the history of film and get up to the point where they go like, oh, I've seen all these movies, you know. <laughs> now I know how to shoot this thing. He just knew.
0: Yeah, it's not like he had, you know, hundreds and exactly. or thousands of movies cataloged away in his brain that he'd seen before. Like, yeah. that didn't exist. So um, it's 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 just astounding what what he intuitively knew was the right thing to do. And his... Like the visuals of this movie are remarkable. Like the, the everything, the design, that sort of like art deco. I mean, there's a lot of different influences. I feel like in the visuals of this movie, but like the scale of it is is massive. I mean, there's so many extras. There's special effects. Yep. Um, and like
1: a lot of miniatures. Miniature. Like, or, I mean, when the when the, eleva- the when the
0: elevators fall down and explode yeah. and right in front of her. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. Like. It was impressive today. I mean, I don't even know what it must have been like to watch back then, but there's special effects, too. There's, like, the, the lightning effects and all this stuff. It's incredible. It looks so perfect.
1: I have a feeling that, like, people who probably went to see this movie just had no idea what was going on, though. Like, my guess is that people probably went to this movie. Like, it didn't. I don't think it did particularly well.
0: I was just briefly skimming Wikipedia, and I did see that it it kind of had, like, mixed reviews. Yeah. And I saw that H.G. Wells, like, thought it was silly.
1: Well, so we can get to that in a second, but I was going to say, it's like, I assume that like, I don't think you can probably be this far ahead. Like, I don't think you can come out with a movie in 1927 that's this and expect anyone to know what, what the hell they're seeing. Yeah. It's like
0: the significance of it, it becomes more apparent with a hundred years of, of
1: films that came
0: after it. he,
1: He was making a film for 1985's audiences. Yeah. Right. And, and that's not who is going to the cinema. In the nineteen twenties, right? Yeah. And so my assumption would be they were like, what is going on? This is jumping all over the place, like, you know, I mean, I think the that is an era when people were probably used to seeing plays basically and operas put and operas put on film. Like if they were gonna see something long form, they would expect to see basically a play shot, would be my under you know, that's what they're primed to see, because mostly that's what they've seen, I would guess. And so I mean, as you, you come in here with these yeah. multiple plot lines and card cuts between things where you're using object significance to sort of show you're, do, you're doing these weird like kind of, you know, shots of things. A lot of times, plays don't have shots of things because you can't shoot something. Right. I so I, just, I, I don't feel like people probably knew what they were seeing.
0: I don't know. I haven't seen enough silent film from that era to actually say that for sure. But yeah, I do think that especially the science fiction elements of it are uh, just remarkably modern. And the feel of the movie is really modern. Actually, this is sort of unrelated, but it just made me think of it when we were watching. Because we had just watched Mad Max Fury Road like two weeks ago. And one of the things that George Miller does in that movie is like speeds up the frame rate mm. to like make people look like they're running faster. Mm. And that's something that this movie and silent film in general, I think, did all the time. And I was like, oh, that's actually I, when I was watching Mad Max, I didn't think of that as the, the reason why, like the influence for doing that. Uh. Um but I think it pretty clearly is. It's like actually movies have done that before. They just did it a long long time ago. Um and it's very effective at just like making things feel like a lot more frantic and people's movements feel very fast. And it's 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 something that you don't see done much today and uh something that was happening a lot in metropolis and it's just interesting that George Miller did that in Mad Max Fury Road.
1: So uh on the negative side of the film, I guess I would say story-wise I agree with H.G. Wells. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it was uh,
1: I think I uh, I yeah. It,
0: I think the ideas, the big picture ideas of this movie, I really liked. Um and I liked how dystopian and dark it was, but I do think like some things were just very silly and didn't make any sense. The story is is the least sort of like important part of this movie.
1: I would say that the first so the the movie is divided into two halves. It has it's
0: actually more like three. It has well, it has like two, three parts, three three or two intermissions, sort of two breaks,
1: two breaks. But one of them's like in between two parts that are like basically the same size when put together as the first part. Like yeah. the first part is half the film. Okay, yeah. And the second part just kind of feels like all one thing. It doesn't really feel like there's a break in it, even if they put one there. But the the first half of the film I think works a lot better so there's actually a lot of good storytelling stuff in there like you know there's this there's this constant sort of like generation of forward momentum that they're they're doing a great job of and I think you know I was kind of almost expecting the story to actually be good because based on the beginning yeah I totally agree that I and I think H.G. Wells may have had this complaint that it, uh, or other people did anyway, where it's just like kind of laughably simplistic. But laughably simplistic can go one of two ways. Either it can just be laughably simplistic, like a Disney film. Or it could be because you're constructing a really interesting allegory or well, metaphor this, this or something. This feels right? like
0: an allegory, absolutely. And
1: at the outset, yeah. it kind of does. Yeah. Right. And the way I would the way I thought of that in my head when I was watching it, I was like, oh, like the first Tim Burton film is 1927. It's this movie by Fritz Lang, because it feels a lot like a Tim Burton film when you're watching it. Everything is like abstracted into its most sort of iconic form mm-hmm. and no attempt is made to integrate it back into reality it's just like look if it's if people are having to do this like drudge work then we are going to show them marching in lockstep slowly towards a machine because we're not we're not doing realism we're doing caricature that's exactly. how this is being portrayed right
0: which i'm totally fine with like... i'm
1: totally fine with it too i like the early tim burton films i love a lot of them. Well, and this, right? and
0: and this movie is super simplistic in its sort of in its like I guess probably fairly like Marxist sort of perspective or allegory. Like it's.
1: I mean, yeah, sort of. Except it's not that Marxist.
0: Not it's, not in the end.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like oh, the industrialists are fine or whatever. Like it, they just need to to yeah, they just, like, just need to be Communication. You know, a, yeah, it no. wasn't really uh, very. But uh yeah, who knows. Anyway, uh, at the beginning it feels more marxist certainly. Uh or at least just more uh you know, more communist, right? More more workers rights oriented. In an abstract way, and but it doesn't really end that way. Uh, so, yeah, I, w- so, I would agree. Uh, it's like
0: it gets too happy an ending for the way that ideology would probably have actually had things play out if. if, if
1: yeah, the revolution does not end in an overthrow. It ends in just like oh, it's a fine. handshake. Just yeah. back to the way things were. It just needed a slightly slightly better worker working conditions. I mean, the right? workers literally
0: so, uh, flood themselves. It like, doesn't make a yeah. whole
1: lot of sense, uh, but we'll get to that in a sure, second. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I but but it, either way, like whatever the ideology was, because uh, you know it's not that easy to necessarily know exactly where someone's going to go at the outset. Anyway, it felt fine, and the fact that it was heavy-handed about that, well, that's okay because you can tell a good story heavy-handed. That you don't have to have a light touch, depending on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to make a fairy tale feeling thing, which this is. I mean, there's no way to interpret it any other way with how much, like, you know, with the inventor who lives in this one house in town that's not modernized. I mean, there's no way to interpret this as anything other Mm -hmm. than a fable like that. So I don't think heavy handed Marxist imagery or something should disqualify this film uh, because that it seems the first act story wise. I don't really give it many black marks for that because it seems really good creating a abstract allegorical thing that's just letting you know what we're talking about. We're talking about bad working conditions and we're representing them as a hyperbole, but that's fine.
0: Yeah. And like, and, and I mean, it felt very modern in that way too, because it's a conversation our society is having a lot today where you've got these ultra wealthy people and these very poor people. And obviously that was a situation that was happening in the 1920s just as much as today. So it just goes to show that there's these like, there's these sort of like constants in human societies that are always relatable, and that's one of them. That
1: happened in the 20s.
0: That happened in the 20s. Every 100 years. Not looking forward to the 30s.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, if you look at just the first act, I think there's a lot of good stuff going on. There's uh, a, for example, there's some really interesting stuff where they go like, okay, uh, you know, this this guy is kind of frolicking in the garden, and then this woman comes and she has all these children with him. She's kind of like mysterious. Like, how'd she get up there? No one really knows what she's doing there. And then, you know, she leaves and he wants to go find her. He goes down to find her. He sees the machine and has that vision of it being this beast that's swallowing up the workers. And he's horrified by this. He goes to talk to his father. His father, it's kind of a piece of shit. And is complaining about the fact that Josephat didn't tell him about the explosion. But then at the same time, we also get the foreman. So we introduce the foreman and he has these maps. He's like, what are these maps? We don't know. This precipitates the uh, two, that whole setup there precipitates two things. the The uh, freighter goes then to swap jobs with somebody because he wants to experience living down there, which is a great idea. So they swap. the other, We get to see the other guy seeing all these amazing things up above ground that he's never really seen before. We see the uh, we see Joe Freighterson... Uh, go to the inventor. So we get this whole thing with this crazy mad scientist. But there's a reason he goes there because he wants to know what the maps are. All of that stuff is great work. That's really good storytelling. Mm-hmm. All these interesting things coming out. Each one is creating interesting scenes. The scene with the beast. The scene in the control room. The scene with the clock and and freighter mm-hmm. having to do the clock. Yep. And all this stuff. All of that stuff is working really well. And then we get the thin man. Who is wait, now going to pursue freighter?
0: It looks like that character and that plot line was cut, like because almost all of the footage of the thin man guy following around and tracking oh. freighter was cut. It was the it was the restored or recovered footage, so it seems like that plot line was cut for some reason,
1: which is too bad. Which is too
0: bad because man, that actor very, very 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 creepy.
1: So very that great. whole thing. They go, there's two ways to get down to the catacombs. One's through the inventor's house with the weird like underground tunnels that he has. So they get to watch what happens down there with the the girl because the inventor already knows about that happening, and then he's like, "Oh, I want you to make the weird man machine to be a vision, of the the same image of as the the girl Maria of Maria." So he has to kidnap her, and then he's plotting to like do something different because he's mad at him about some other girl who we never met. His
0: wife, I mean, the yeah, presumably his wife or the, the mo- person whose mother, mother,
1: of the mother of of uh, freighter. That's great. Like I thought act 1, well, it's really act 1 to middle of act 1 yeah. to act 2. I mean, they they they're dividing it in a weird way, but like from the beginning of the story to the midpoint, I thought it was great. I would totally disagree with H.G. Wells up to that point. Yeah. Then we get the second act or I should say the second half and it's just an it's just a disaster from start to finish. Pretty much everything about the second act sucks storytelling wise. And I would say I completely agree with H.G. Wells. It just degenerates into silly stuff, doesn't really make any sense. It has so many problems, and things that didn't even need to be problems, like they're creating problems out of thin air. We're supposed to believe that Frieder magically happens to be wandering by the inventor's house at the same time that the inventor is like messing with Maria, who but he is kidnapped. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because he never finds her. You, you could have just not had him do that. There's no reason for it. So it's weird. They're like, they're like creating implausible and jarring story elements for no reason. And so it's like as intuitive and brilliant as Fritz Lang was with his visual storytelling. Uh, the, so it's him and his wife, his wife wrote the novel which I haven't read. So I don't know if the novel actually is better and it's the abridgment process that screwed it up or if the novel also sucks. (laughs) But somewhere in there, either in the novel or in the adaptation of the screenplay, they just introduced or had so many obviously bad ideas. I don't even understand the point. I I don't even know, even after having watched the movie what exactly the inventor's plan was, nor do I know what Freiderson's plan was. He's apparently, he wanted the workers to revolt so that he could be harsher to them or something.
0: Yeah, I think it was like he wanted to use the the Maria machine version to convince the workers to have a violent rebellion.
1: Which they do, and then he's shocked by it. And I'm like... Wait, that was your plan? Why are you surprised at the outcome of your plan going the way you expected? It's so bizarre. So, like, when you watch the second half of this film, it's like they totally replaced their creative storytelling with just stupidity. And I was very unhappy. Like, basically the entire back half of the film, I was incredibly unhappy with this film. And I just wished I had shut it off at the halfway point because everything up to that point was great. And I was loving it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like the whole allegory part gets really muddled, too, because it's like, okay, if you're going to be telling a story that's about like workers rights in this this extreme world of haves and have nots. Right. And it's like but then ultimately you have it so that the rich guy convinces tricks them into having a violent rebellion and destroying their own home. Yeah. And in doing so makes them look like mindless, sort of ruthless people who just want to destroy stuff and don't care about the consequences. And like, I don't know, it was just it it ended up feeling because initially I thought, okay, this is like a socialist Marxist kind of thing. And then in the end, you're like, oh, is it not? Is it actually trying to, like, say that that ideology leads to, like, disaster? And well, it's the actually more—yeah,
1: um, it's know. more Luddite. It's, it feels more Luddite than anything else in its ending because, you know, a, a socialist or a Marxist message would be that the workers take control of the machines for themselves— like r- right, like socialism and Marxism and those kinds of ideologies are about workers owning the means of production that's their whole deal right. they're not going to destroy all the machines and be left with nothing because they don't just want to like destroy they're not anarchists right that's a different ideology yeah. or Luddites who just want the machines gone which is again a different ideology so like if you're talking about saying Marxist you would expect them to try to take control of the they, w- they would try to kick out the people who are running it and take control of the machines for the Themselves. That is not what happens at all. Um, and furthermore, I think they weren't trying to go that route because they have this whole sort of in like story within a story about the Tower of Babel. And the idea in the Tower of Babel analogy there is that like, because the person who planned the Tower of Babel and the people who built the Tower of Babel don't understand each other, it ends in ruin. That's basically yeah. what this parable was trying to, to say. I mean, if I'm reading how they wanted to present it, right? I mean,
0: from the very beginning, they present it as that. They're like the head and the hands. Uh, yes, need a mediator, need, of, mediator of the mediator heart, mediator right?
1: Mediator of the heart, yeah. And so it's pretty clear that they're not really talking about that because they're not talking about the fact that, like, the hands should be the head. That's that's socialism, right? So they're not they're not really talking about that. They're not talking about the workers should be the ones in charge. They're not saying that, it would seem, even in their parable. And the ending certainly backs that up. So what it seems like they're trying to say is that, oh, we do need people who are like planners and like people who think through how things should run. And we do need workers who actually do this, but we need them to work with each other in a compassionate way so they understand each other and aren't doing bad things to each other. That seemed like the moral of the story. Problem is, the story doesn't back that up. At all. Like, the only time the quote-unquote mediator is involved is in having two people shake hands at the end of the freaking story. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, I think I think the most generous way I could look at the whole thing with Joe Friederson yeah. would be the reason he was surprised, like when the lights go out, for example, is because he didn't realize that that like the workers made the city run in a way but right how? like it's like so I he's mean... so disconnected from from the work they're doing that he he is, ta- he is like sort of taken for granted the the things that the luxuries that they have but it doesn't really <laughs> make sense because it's like if you're the quote unquote head then you would understand like how the th- the machine wor- like how things work to some extent. I don't know. It's just
1: it's also you wouldn't be you wouldn't be so concerned with making sure the workers are working, because if you don't think the workers are doing things that are crucial to your economic prosperity, why would you care what they're doing? Right. right. So he obviously is deeply invested mentally in having these workers keep working the machine. So he must know the machine is important. So it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I also don't understand anything with the plot line of the people at the the Club of the sons. Or whatever it is, uh the the people, all the people in business suits. So supposedly the lady is like dancing and causing them to just become enraged, right? With envy and stuff.
0: Lust. And lust and, yeah. and
1: all the other deadly sins. Who is making this happen and why? If it's the inventor who is trying to destroy the city who does this, well, what does Joe Friederson think the lady's doing right now? Because he is supposed to be telling the lady what to do. So does he not know that's happening? Like, there's no, not even a shot that shows us what he when he finds out about that because he then eventually does go to the inventor and has it out with him. Presumably it's because he finds out that's happening, but we never see that. I don't, like, there's no, no, all this stuff where I'm just like, like what is going the whole, on? The
0: whole, like, Seven Deadly Sins didn't stuff. Didn't work. It, it didn't work story-wise, but I will say... Once again, like visually, yes, that all that stuff was incredible. Hard agree. Um, the hard scene, agree. The whole scene with the dance, just incredible. And then the scene with the seven deadly least in statues, statues. Such good and statues. And death. I mean, I literally got chills. Yeah. With those shot, that shot of death, like swinging the the when it kind the, of starts um, when they start to
1: walk, I mean, like when the statues start to walk, it's so good.
0: Like actual chills. Yeah. So good. So like even even when we're talking about how like the story stuff here doesn't work the movie still like i still really enjoyed the experience of watching it because again and again and again you're seeing these amazing visuals yes um throughout like even during those scenes where the story stuff doesn't make any sense
1: it's completely nuts how much of that is happening i 100 agree because like the story just completely goes off the rails but they're still pulling all these great things out of you know out of their hat for uh storytelling techniques and it, it really is great they even do stuff like intercut weird things when someone like when freighter sees the two of them to the the woman and his father together yes they <clears throat> intercut things like again it reminded me a lot of uh of Um, blue velvet how using like weird intercut things to establish a feeling right again doing crazy stuff like that yeah another thing i noticed them doing a ton of times is using these sort of like uh, these shots of of the actor or actress that were separate from—they were highly depth-of-fielded, basically, like, they're, like the background was blurry, and they were the only thing in focus, as intercuts in between things as well, which, again, seems way ahead of its time. Like, you see people do that occasionally these days. I, I had no idea anyone was thinking to do that stuff in 1927. Like, I thought they were just shooting what was on—what was in front of the camera, mm-hmm. basically, and not thinking about that kind of editing or that kind of, like— shooting extra stuff it almost reminded me a little bit of silence of the lambs Hmm. where they use these shots of just someone's face filling the whole frame they do it with jodie foster then they do it with um anthony hopkins at various times in the movie to sort of really like show that you're getting into their head and this movie was basically doing that it was taking these shots that would insert into normal scenes of a really close-up of the people uh with nothing kind of behind them and it just I, again, I immediately was like, "Oh, that's like just like Science of the Lambs, yeah. right?" Yeah. So again, fantastic work. Really wish they hadn't screwed up the story in the second act. Yeah. Really wish they hadn't. But would I mean, have been would have been a fantastic film to watch today if the second act hadn't sucked.
0: Yeah. I mean, the movie is just absolutely mind blowing and yeah. uh, like absolutely worth watching. I would also say the score is good.
1: Yeah, it's not bad. I mean,
0: it's 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 not it, it's a little repetitive. But exactly. But, I mean, understandably, it's a lot of music. It's like yeah. two and a half hours of music, and uh, but it's got that. F- it's it feels very like music of the era, which is an era of music I love. Sort of that like yeah. late romantic yep. uh, style. Like there's parts of it that sound like Mahler or other mm. uh, kind of, sort of contemporary. I mean, Mahler might be like a slightly earlier, but you know what I mean. Just of yeah. that of that that era and like since i love that sort of style of of classical music i do think that really helped keep me emotionally invested and engaged i mean i think there's also a reason that film music today draws upon a lot of the same sort of like musical style stuff of that era um because it's really effective (laughs) and uh i mean it's a lot different than like a silent movie with like an organ playing or something right it's a lot like it's it's way more engaging so i thought that was pretty good too i agree. If you haven't i mean if you've if you haven't seen it, you have to go you got to watch it.
1: you really should watch this movie, um and like I said, even the story is good for the first act, I think it yeah. just it does a great job of being sort of a fairy tale like thing where there's constantly new weird things happening, but they kind of all line up. It, yeah, it only yeah. really falls apart in the second act where they just did not have good ideas about how these things come together in interesting ways, so even the first act is is entertaining as a film, not just as an artifact the, It's really the whole package yeah. in the first part. The only weird part is like, again, some of the acting is pretty bad. Uh, I would say by today's standards, but, but I mean, some of it's, also not. it's a silent film. But, I mean, they couldn't of, speak. So I would say
0: some of the acting is actually very good. And by some today's of it's standards. very
1: good. It's mainly the main, it's mainly the male lead. The female lead was actually quite good.
0: Yeah. I would say, and like even the male lead had, had those intense eyes, which seems to be a yeah. thing that they really go for. Yeah. They were casting for, um, the other thing I would say was that, like, even by today's standards, the visual creativity of this movie is, is.
1: Oh, it's off the charts. It's
0: off the charts. It is better than 99% of movies that have ever been made in terms of just the creativity and originality of the sets and the vision of the oh, world. Yeah. It, is, it is to this day one of the best movies ever made in terms of uh, just production design. and, and Absolutely. It,
1: like, it is... Absolutely. Arti- mon- it, the artistic eye. Yes. Like, yeah. the artistic eye, this is up there with Blade Runner and Star Wars. And, you know, those movies that, they look way better because they had way better tech to work with. But it's exactly that level of amazing creativity in terms of thinking about what everything's going to look look like. Everything from the weird robot... Down to the seven deadly sins. Down to what the machine looks like. Down to what it looks like when it transforms into a beast that eats people. Every last thing is like a incredibly good design.
0: One of the early shots, the 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 first shot really where you see the the new Tower of Babel, like, yeah. Um, and the music kind of swells, and it's really, really just. And I think Blade Runner, like, some of those shots of the city, Blade Runner is, like, directly sort of referencing. You think so? Yeah, I do. I, I, I think... have
1: no idea who's directly referencing and who's just, hey, this is how you shoot that, so another great director has the same idea, you know? I mean, know?
0: maybe, maybe. Or um, it just
1: echoes through history, too, I think, I think too, it's, yeah. it's
0: maybe not a conscious thing, but I think it's, yeah. like, it's become the norm. Like, yeah. it, it, this this movie was so influential that a lot of the stuff in it just became what our imagination thinks of when it thinks of these certain types yeah. of things. Like, that's how influential it is. So it may not yep. be, like, a conscious choice, like, okay, we're going to base this on Metropolis. Like, certainly, some things are in movies. Like, some movies that you've seen will absolutely be, like, like C-3PO, for example.
1: C-3PO is just the robot from Metropolis. There is exactly. absolutely no question about Like that, that. Like,
0: that was what Ralph McQuarrie was, was just, yeah. like, let's do Metropolis. Yeah. So, apparently, I, I, I was reading, I think, that this was one of Hitler's favorite movies, so... And I think Fritz Lang is wow. Jewish. Wow. Yeah, I think he noped on out of Germany after finding out that Hitler <laughs> really
1: liked it. Wow.
0: I think that's true. <laughs> so
1: well, that didn't go it's well. It's kind
0: of crazy. Like, nineteen twenty-seven. Yeah. nineteen twenty-seven. This is before the Great Depression. This is before, obviously, not
1: before Germany's Great Depression, though. Like, well, Germany was in complete disarray. I guess at that that's time. true.
0: How did this movie get made then?
1: I don't know. I mean, probably because there were very wealthy people who wanted to make movies and a lot of really poor people, maybe like uh, I believe the children in this movie, it said, were basically like starving children extras. Wow. I like in the Wikipedia page. It said something about that where it's like they loved being on set because it was like
0: they got food. It was
1: nice and they had food and stuff. It was, it was pretty depressing when you read it. So I, I'm pretty sure that at this point my German history is spotty, but my vague recollection of that period was that because after world war one, yeah. they were already in a horrible state. Um, and, uh, and so I think they were kind of, they were in, in their own depression before the actual depression kind of a thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, and like, normally <coughs> we don't, we don't really talk about like cultural context stuff, but yeah, I do think this movie in particular, uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. If you were you to go just, read about it, if you yeah. were to like, if you were to try to place it at a time in history because yeah. it because it is so old. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, anyway.
1: Metropolis. Just
0: a remarkable movie. And anybody who loves films should see this movie.
1: It actually is one of those old black and white films that's worth re-watching, or I should say worth watching again now, uh, like Citizen Kane. We've seen Philadelphia Story on this one. Mm-hmm. Totally worthless. No need to watch. These two, I would say, are absolutely, we haven't done Citizen Kane yet on here, but I, I've seen it. Um, and then just like, there are ones where you're like, yep, that is actually something with, when you see it, you're very interested to see like, wow, they figured out a lot of stuff and we're doing a lot of things, uh, at that time that we take for granted today or even mess up today. Now, Metropolis, definitely in that category. It's one of the few really old films that you can watch today and, and really appreciate. So highly recommended. For anyone who loves film.
0: Yeah, absolutely fantastic.
1: Anna Repberg, what is next in the movie club?
0: Next week is a a movie that I love, Children of Men.
1: Oh, dear. Okay.
0: You don't love. I love.
1: I I don't want to spoiler anything, but I will say that the, the don't love for me is because it's very hard for me to watch due to shaky cam not sickness. a criticism of the film. It's <laughs> a criticism of the gyroscopic, the lack of gyroscopic stabilization <laughs> in the film.
0: <laughs> so anyway, we'll be back next week with that.
1: Hope to see everyone back here for that. Yeah. Until then, have fun watching movies, folks.
0: That's right. Bye.